Welcome to the Resurrection People podcast with Preston Sharp, pastor of Sacrament Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and curator of The Art of Preaching. Each week, we look at three readings from the Bible, drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. Find more at theartofpreaching.substack.com. Welcome back to the Resurrection People podcast. I'm Preston Sharp. I'm so glad all of you who have been joining us on this journey Hey, I wanted to give you a heads up for those of you who are preachers, or if you're looking to go deeper with these readings each week, I write about 13 to 15 pages of content on these readings each week, commentary, illustrations, quotes, all that kind of stuff. And if you are looking to um, uh, participate and to engage some of this stuff in your sermon preparation, or again, if you just want to go deeper, I encourage you to go to theartofpreaching.substack.com. We are running a deep discount on our subscription right now. We're actually half off. Our deep dive subscription is 13 to 15 pages, like I said, and it has all the resources that I use, quotes, you know, all that kind of stuff, illustrations. So I encourage you to check that out. Um, Also, we have another version that's just four to five pages that's also half off right now, and it's much less. And that is a bit more of a summary, but you see all of the resources as well. And so theartofpreaching.substack.com, I encourage you to go there and check it out. And today, our reading from the Old Testament is Exodus 20, 1 through 4, 7 through 9, and 12 through 20. So the lectionary tries to summarize this entire narrative, but you could just read Exodus 1 through 20 or 21 through 20 if you wanted to. And this is the story of the giving of the Ten Commandments. So Israel is wandering in the wilderness, and they are, this is the time after their rescue from Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea, but before they enter the promised land. Remember, they're in the desert in the wilderness for 40 years, a generation long. And our reading today tells us that it's in the desert that God gives the Ten Commandments. So our story begins with a reminder of what God has done, that God has rescued them from Egypt and from slavery. So they are defined as a people by God's rescue. They are the rescued people. That's what forms their identity. God has proved his character in that action, and this is the foundation which God gives as he lays out these commandments. So how are we supposed to think about the Old Testament law today, and specifically the Ten Commandments? Well, these Ten Commandments show us something about the character of God, and they point us to Jesus. That's what we need to remember, that these Ten Commandments point us to Jesus. Now, generally, uh, those of us especially who are Westerners and Americans, we don't like being bound by laws we tend to always push back. We tend to think of freedom and law as opposites of one another. But that's not exactly true. Because the reality is we are all bound to something. We all commit ourselves to something. We all follow something. So sometimes for us, we equate freedom as following our urges or desires or whims, doing whatever we want. But that is actually a law too. It's possible and very common to bind oneself to the law of your own desires, the law of your own impulses. The law of God is the law that brings ultimate freedom because it is the law that brings life. So we all bind ourselves to something. So this is one thing that we bind ourselves to, and that is the law that God has given us because we believe that it brings life. 
Now, healthy parents, this is just an example, healthy parents want their kids to grow up and learn what it means to be part of a family. So in my family, I particularly want my kids to learn to be people of character and love and generosity and acceptance. Sometimes my daughters do not act in the, in the ways which I desire for them, but sometimes I do not act that way. <laughs> this is why we as parents, we have to establish rules, patterns of behavior, even if our children do not understand why the rules exist. Now, of course, as parents, we hope our rules are not arbitrary. They are intentional. Healthy parents lead with intentional rules. So for example, we may limit screen time because we want our children not to be solely focused on their own entertainment. We may tell them when they hurt a friend to apologize um, because we want them to learn about repentance and forgiveness. These are not arbitrary rules that we just make up for the sake of control. No, these are boundary markers for how to live as a child who is part of a family. It is often appropriate for parents to allow consequences as part of behavior, behavior that's not consistent with boundaries. So we might ask ourselves this question, does my child's identity as part of my family, does it depend on their ability to keep these rules? Well, no. Now, a child could reject their identity as part of the family. They could reject that foundation of their identity. But that ultimate foundation is not in their behavior. It's in the family's love for them. The foundation of Israel's identity is God's love shown through his rescue. And yet, God says, they are hard-hearted. In the Ten Commandments, God gives them a guide for how to grow up to be who they are, his kids. They're called to imitate God. The words in Latin are imatio Dei. So let's look at some of these commands here. You shall have no other gods before me. God wants to be in exclusive relationship with Israel. They will soon be living near the Canaanites, and the Canaanites seek the help of other gods to do things like make their crops grow and make their animals and families fertile and to enable them to stay in contact with family members as they die in order to get their wisdom and help. Israel is not to look to other gods, but to rely on Yahweh for all their needs. What are the things we turn to in times of need? That might be a question for us. In what ways is it radical for the people of God to declare that our trust is in God alone? You shall make not make for yourself an idol. They're not to make statues to help them worship. This was countercultural. At this time, they there was it was common to make physical representations of gods. And it's not that physicality is foreign to God or that God is not engaged in the physical world. Of course God is. It's that we cannot make God. <laughs> Often in times of Israel's unfaithfulness, they use statues to control or an attempt to control or define God. We don't get to do that. Sometimes we want in our lives something tangible to hold on to in tough times, something familiar to worship that we think we can manipulate or control, but God's not familiar in that way. That's why trust is so critical. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, or you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This isn't about cussing. 
This is about God's will or reputation. We tend to like to do things in the Lord's name. That gives them credibility. In fact, there have been a lot of awful things done in the name of God throughout the centuries. As Christians, we are called to make sure that our endeavors look like God as revealed in Christ. So don't try to take things that don't look like Jesus and say that God ordained them. <laughs> Wars, you know, efforts, visions, plans. Don't try to say, hey, that's all done in the name of the Lord, right? Especially if it doesn't look like him. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Remember that God doesn't depend on your work. God is working when you are not working. And by stopping work for a day, we are saying that God is our source. Me working hard enough is not what keeps the world spinning on its axis. I am dependent on God. Honor your father and mother. When you do not honor your parents, you do not honor your story, the story of God's faithfulness. Honoring your parents means honoring the ways that God has been faithful to you and to your people. In our society, we have very little respect for our elders when compared with other cultures. God's people are to live in such a way that we honor the gift that God has given us in our elders. Now, I just made that statement, and that's assuming that you all live in a similar culture that I do, Western American culture. We may have people listening all over the place, and there are some cultures that tend to honor their elders better than Western American culture does. But what about when you have horrible parents? What if your parents were or are awful or harmful? Well, there are times in all relationships where we have to set boundaries. And I believe it is possible to honor your parents, even if you have to create physical separation from them because trust has been broken. Sometimes the situation's been so harmful or hurtful, you can't see your parents at all. And that's appropriate and that's understandable in some situations. But no matter how bad our parents are or were, we can find ways to honor the seed that was sown to make you. The faithfulness of God, um, appreciating the faithfulness of God that has been passed down. You shall not murder. This recognizes that relationships can sometimes get so fraught that one person might want to actually do violence to the other. And I think we can extend this. Instead of just saying, thou shalt not do something, we can think about are we actually generating life in what we do? Are we spreading life? Are we spreading death? We may not get to the point where we want to take someone else's life, but are there subtle ways that we're trying to snatch their dignity or their humanity? Are we life-giving? How we treat one another matters. You shall not commit adultery. Don't have affairs. Why? Because this breaks up the family and it breaks up the society. God's design for marriage was always that it reflect God's love in the world. When we do not model that, when we're unfaithful, we mar that reflection. Notice that so many of God's commandments are about faithfulness when things are difficult. Commitment to faithfulness is central to our story. Why? Because our God is faithful. That is who God is, and we are to reflect Him in the world. You shall not steal. This is a way of recognizing we're part of the people of God. We're in this together. 
So your neighbor's oxen are his livelihood. You may not be tempted to steal your neighbor's oxen today, but your neighbor's oxen is his livelihood or whatever he has or she has. His sheep, his goats, his olives, his grains. These are means of sustaining their family. You imperil the family when you take them. Life's not just about you and your needs or me and my needs. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. We need to be a people who see and describe the world rightly. Our words have power. They do things. The old saying, oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive is an image of a web that's being created. We have the opportunity to create meaning that is true and good and beautiful, or we can weave counterfeits that are destructive. You shall not covet. In other words, be content with what you have. This particular commandment is fascinating because it appears to have more to do with one's heart disposition than with one's behavior. A lot of the other ones, maybe all of the other ones, have particular kind of tangible reference that they're, this is what you are to do or to not do. This one is more about your heart. It's not really seen all the time. Do not think that your life would be better if you had your neighbor's wife or servants or animals. Contentment and thankfulness are so central to our faith. God has blessed us. He is our God and in him we have all that we need. Perhaps today, no commandment is more neglected than this one. Interestingly, the only way it seems to change one's disposition of the heart may be through internal and intentional practices, stopping to give thanks, reflecting on what one is thankful for, postures of worship, physical postures of worship, which orient the worshiper towards thanksgiving. Israel is given these guidelines, these laws, and they fail over and over again, as we do. Other gods all the time, false images, immortality, or immorality, theft, murder, all of it. God's kids fail to live out what it means to be part of the family of God. They were called to imitate God and they fail to do so. They allow other gods and their own impulses to be their law. And yet God loves them so much, he doesn't, he refuses to give up on them. Remember, for Christians, the law points us to Jesus, our center point. He is the one who God truly is. And we see that the whole point of the law has been God's love the entire time. The whole point is flourishing and wholeness and healing. And this is what Jesus embodied. And what's so fascinating, as we see throughout the Gospels, is Jesus kind of systemically challenges what many people believe about the laws but ultimately reminds them of who they are as God's people. And then there's all these people that have broken the law and Jesus brings them in, brings them back in, heals and restores them. So one example of all of this is when it comes to the Sabbath. The Pharisees become very angry that Jesus is healing on the Sabbath day because you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Their point is, this is what marks us out as God's people. We don't work on the Sabbath. But Jesus reminds them the whole point of the Sabbath is wholeness and healing. That's the whole thing. You kind of forgot the whole thing. I wonder if that's the reason why Jesus hung out with prostitutes, people with bad reputations related to their sexual lives. The whole point of do not commit adultery is to remind them we are to be faithful 
because God is faithful to us. To those who have been unfaithful, Jesus embodies true faithfulness. The whole reason why adultery is wrong is because it tears communities apart. If you simply reject those who have broken the commandment, you're forgetting the point. God loves you. God is faithful to you. And God wants to restore you and all people. Think about the story of Zacchaeus, who was basically a thief. Jesus calls him out with his love and he restores his dignity and Zacchaeus repents and is transformed. The ones who were on the cross next to Jesus were murderers, likely. And one of them acknowledges him. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus says over and over again, you guys remember the law, but you may have forgotten the whole point. And that's the really reality of keeping the law. Jesus goes to the place of those who are lawbreakers. He steps in the position of the one who's a thief and a murderer and one who has been unfaithful, even though he was not any of those things, for our sake. Thanks for listening to the Resurrection People podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review to help us get the word out. You can hear full sermons at sacramentchurch.com and find out more at theartofpreaching.substack.com.